Thank you all for joining us today for the Becker's Women's in Diversity virtual event. I'm Ayla Ellison, Editor-in-Chief of Becker's Hospital Review, and I'm pleased to be your moderator for today's discussion on best practices for finding and retaining diverse talent. I'm joined by three panelists today to discuss, to discuss this important topic. But before we dive into the questions I have prepared, I'm gonna turn the floor over to each of our panelists to tell us a little bit more about themselves and their organizations. So Dana, can I begin with you today? Hello, absolutely. It's my pleasure to be a part of this great panel. I am Dana Beckton, VP and Chief Diversity Officer at Centera Healthcare. We are a 12 hospital system located in Virginia with one of our hospitals in North Carolina. Um, I have been with Centera for a little over two and a half years. I'm coming in the middle of June of 2019, pre-pandemic, um, and I'm really excited to have this discussion. Thank you so much, Dana. And Kim, I'll turn the floor over to you now. Hello, my name is Kim Drumgo, and I am the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer here at Geisinger. We are a 13 hospital um, organization with over 200 clinics. Um, we're integrated health delivery system with close to 3 million patients in central Pennsylvania and across Pennsylvania. I've been in my role um, for a little less than three months, and um, I'm looking forward to this great discussion with such accomplished leaders. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Kim. And Ariane, I'll turn the floor over to you now. Hi, how are you all this morning? Uh, my name is Ariane Dowdell. I'm thrilled to be here. I work for Houston Methodist Hospital. Uh, we're an eight hospital system here in Houston. We have over 27,000 employees. And uh, like the other guests today, we've seen, we see many patients. We've seen over uh, 1.3 million patients in 2020. So we're busy as well as the others. And I look forward to a fantastic discussion as well. Thank you all three for being here with us today. And thank you for your time. I think I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, as each of you mentioned, you're from, from wonderful healthcare organizations across the country that are really leaders um, in the industry. So I know everyone's really looking forward to hearing um, about what you're doing at your organization. So that's, that's where we're gonna start our discussion today. So I would just love for each of you to provide an example of how your health systems organizations have bolstered efforts to improve diversity, equity, inclusion in your workforce. I think we talk about these um, topics in broad strokes a lot, but I think really um, examples from your organizations would be really helpful for our audience today. So Kim, can I begin with you for that question? Sure, absolutely. And, and so, you know, as we begin to, um, I, I want to say re-energize um, diversity, equity, and inclusion at Geisinger, because it's always been a priority. I definitely just want to say we're re-energizing and bolstering those efforts through our enterprise strategy, which outlines the priorities for our entire organization. Um, they're focused on creating a culture that is um, a culture of inclusion, um, in a trusting environment where all of our team members can succeed and be their best. Um, that's the first part of the strategy. The second piece is around talent. And so how do we make sure that we're attracting, recruiting, and advancing talent, diverse talent throughout our entire organization? Um, the third piece is around community and health. And I'm going to combine both of those because as we think about 
our community. We also need to think about the health equity of our community. And we're really focused on making sure that the partnerships and the investments that we make in the community are truly helping to close the gap on health inequity. And that's really important to us as an organization that's not only in central Pennsylvania, but expanding our footprint to across the um, state. We also wanna make sure that we're giving back to the economic sustainability of those who are entrepreneurs in our community. So supplier diversity is also very important. But I have to say that one of the ways that we're really making sure that it sticks, you know, the strategy sticks is to integrate a lot of the work that we're doing into our day-to-day -day work. And so when we have diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that are separate from our organization's priorities, that's where it becomes a challenge. So my goal um, in these first couple of months of being with Geisinger is to really identify ways that we can integrate our, prior, our diversity priorities into our organizational priorities, into our organizational dashboards. That way it becomes a fabric of who we are instead of a project that we're working off of the side of our desks. Thank you so much, Kim. So really making sure they're one and the same. There's the, the diversity goals and, and projects are the same as the org organizational goals and strategy. Um, Dana, is there an example you can provide um, to, to talk about what you're doing at your organization a bit? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to piggyback on what Kim said, the difference of making it the side project versus embedded in the organization for us has been our leadership accountability. So we have um, in the midst of last year. So one of the things that I didn't mention in my introduction is the fact that um, my role is new. It was newly created. Um, so I'm the first chief diversity officer. So initially it's been having that foundational conversation. But where we've expanded to and what really got um, a jump start after last year with the pandemic, as well as um, the murder of George Floyd, was the fact that um, our leaders had to step up. It couldn't just be Dana, the chief diversity officer. It had to be leaders throughout the organization having these conversations, um, looking at where we needed to move and grow. So our um, hospitals, each of our hospitals created a, a diversity council, diversity and inclusion council, and it was led by the hospital presidents. And admittedly, in the very beginning, the hospital presidents were like, I'm running a hospital. And it's like, this is the business of your hospital. And after the first meeting, hearing the stories of the, the people that became that formed the council, they all turned around and said, okay, I get it. No complaints. I absolutely get it. And they have been thoroughly um, committed to doing this work and looking at how they can take our overall strategy and embed it within their division. So now not only do we have the hospitals, but our medical group, um, they came to us and said, we want a council of our own. So our medical group has a council, our health plan has a council. And in the beginning of 2022, we're gonna form a corporate um, council as well. Wow, really, that's incredible and um, so interesting to hear about just like how easy it was to make the case for why this is necessary and then even having the metal, medical groups and others come and say they wanted a council of their own as well. Ariane, anything you would add there? I want to hear from you as well about, you, you know, some of these um, efforts at your organization or any examples that you can provide. Absolutely. And I'm similar to Dana in that in my role um, as Vice President, Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer, I'm the first in my position. So it is 
um, something that really has been a strategic focus, although we focused on it before. So I, I echo what Kim says about that renewed focus um, and looking back to our history and our diversity that we had with some of the founders of the organization. Um, but we also have been making sure that our DEI efforts are really embedded in everything um, that's being done and always making sure that our focus is on our employees, our patients and our communities. And so one of the first things that we did when the department was formed was to make sure that we had resources available as far as staffing um, to make sure we could execute on the things that we said we wanted to achieve. Um, so our employee resource groups have formed just in the past year. So we have five that are currently in place. Uh, we have more than 500 people that have joined and three more that are working on charters. We also have the dashboard that we've created so we can look at our clinical side, our employee side, what we're doing in the community as well to really be able to track and measure our efforts uh, year over year. And so I think when you um, take some of these components, it really helps to build the program and make sure that it is embedded. We also have the councils, as Dana had mentioned. Uh, we have physicians that have established councils. We also have a DEI Leadership Council and we have a newly formed Health Equity Council as well that's made up of both clinicians and executives. So we're making sure that this is really a you know, system-wide effort that everyone is engaged in. And we do have DEI champions and teams similar to what Dana said at each of our hospitals as well because they do serve various aspects of our community throughout Houston. And so making sure they're part of that and really can understand what that day-to-day -day looks like for their individual community, uh, we felt was really important. So I, I echo exactly what Dana said as far as that engagement piece. Thank you so much. So it sounds like it's really, you know, hearing from each of you and how the strategies are, are similar. So leadership, accountability across the organization, integrating these diversity goals within organizational goals. And then also, like you said, Ariane, being able to track and measure results as well. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit, my next question was about, you know, what has worked for your organization? So the title of today's discussion is, you know, attracting and retaining diverse talent. So I think, you know, we've talked about the broader strategy, but is there anything specific you'd like to share with our audience today that, that you found that has worked for your organization? And Dana, I'll, I'll start with you for that question. Absolutely. So I think one of the first things that I noticed when I came to Centera is that we tended to look at it from a global perspective. When I say global, meaning across the system, what was the average experience of our team members? And one of the things that we started to do is disaggregate the data. Because one of the things we recognize is that different people will experience an organization differently. And foundationally, it's important for us to understand that difference um, in order to then start to close some of the gaps that we saw. So in our employee engagement survey, for example, where we could look at our average engagement score, what we started to do is we broke out our questions and looked at it disaggregate, looking at it from a race ethnicity perspective, tenure, our um, gender, looking at it from a um, generational perspective. So that was that first year. And then last year, we allowed people to self-identify if they were members of the LGBTQ community, if they had a disability, or if they were veterans. And what it really showed us is that there were pockets of the organization that, as I mentioned, were experiencing Centera, and this goes back into our systems. So now we've got an opportunity to look at our systems, look at our processes, and say, what are creating arbitrary barriers for people to access career development, to be successful, to feel like they are a part of the Centera community? 
and really engaging, as I mentioned, the councils and our leadership around, you know, what does this power of belonging look like? How can we create that, that experience for everyone? So that's really, you know, one of the, I would say the highlights for us is looking at the data and I forget who mentioned it, you know, it's that data is key. And, but you have to look at the right data to be able to really get at how do you create that full-fledged inclusive environment. Absolutely. So making sure you're looking at the data to create a similar, um, you know, experience for everyone across the organization, regardless of, you know, which group that they would fall into or identify with. Um, Arianne or Kim, anything you would add to that in terms of um, what you found specifically that is that has worked well for your organization um, in retaining and um, recruiting diverse talent? You can go. I'll go after you. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that Dana did a great job in articulating that you have to look at the data. You have to look at the engagement survey results and um, really evaluate what different populations in your organization are experiencing. I think what we've done um, to continue with that, both at Geisinger as I've been here and in other organizations where I've led diversity um, initiatives was to really have focus groups and to have conversations about that data. Um, because the data can tell you one story, the individuals in the room can add you know, details to that and really help you identify where some of the opportunities exist. And so we not only did that with the segmented groups, um, but we also deployed our ERGs, our employee resource group members, to connect with their members and, and identify where there are opportunities um, for us to do a better job. And you know, part of that retention piece is around leadership opportunities, growth opportunities, and how we can make sure that the needs of different populations throughout the organization, not just from a demographic perspective, but from a profession perspective, have those opportunities to grow and develop. And um, what we're doing right now is with our international nurses doing state interviews. How do we keep you? Instead of focusing on the exit interviews and that data, which is very important, we're also focused on the people that are here and what can we do to keep you here so that we don't lose you, um, so that we are thinking about our benefits differently. We're thinking about our leadership models differently. We're thinking about our leadership styles differently so that we're able to engage and retain um, these individuals who do such important work that um, we just need to give them that bump and boost and support as much as we can to do so. Absolutely. And I, I, Ariana, I'll turn the floor to you. I just love what you said, Kim, about what can we do to keep you uh, versus focusing on exit interviews when it's, it's too late. And of course, you can learn from those, but um, the person is already out the door. So I, I, I love your note there. And, and Ariane, what were you good? What would you like to add to that, too, in terms of what you're seeing at your organization? Absolutely. Um, so there's a couple of things that have worked really well for us. In addition to looking at uh, the data from our dashboard, we're actually meeting with all the large departments throughout the organization 
to have conversations about the data to help people talk it through. So they're not just looking at numbers, but what does this really mean overall with how do we interact with each other? What happens when you have five different generations of employees within one group? What are those metrics like with people staying versus leaving? So we're having those conversations. Um, to Kim's point, we're also doing the focus groups. We did the same thing Dana said for the first time, allowed people to self-identify, but really being able to sit down and have a conversation about how do you hold our department accountable for the needs that you have to keep you here is very important. And so we do that every year. And then in addition to that, that retention piece is equally as important, especially in this day and age. So we actually launched a career development program where you can have a career coach that you work with, that you really start to own your career and what it looks like at Houston Methodist, knowing you can grow your career here, but being part of that, right? Not waiting until your annual review to see where you go next, but really setting out a path for yourself. So that's actually been very successful for us as well. So interesting and kind of improving that engagement and like, I guess, clarity too for, for individuals. So they have more of a um, clarity around their career growth and path and how they can affect that and move up and move up in the organization. Right. And I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to jump in and tag in because I think all three of us talked about it, talked about it and approached this from a retention. So what does it look like to build up in the organization? But one of the things we've also found is as we look to where we recruit. Um, I, at Centera, everybody knows I, I use this analogy. You can't go fishing in a guppy pond and expect catfish. So one of the things that we, you know, you hear it and you see it all the time when people talk about availability, well, what's the availability? One of the things that we've been able to show is the availability isn't an issue. Availability is out there. It's where we've been historically looking that we've now switched the focus. So now we're developing relationships with organizations that are minor minority serving organizations, women specific serving organizations, um, other demographics that we see are gaps of where we need representation. We're developing re relationships versus just saying, oh, well, we posted it on a website. When you post it on a website, that doesn't do it because people need to know that where they're coming to is a place where that has an investment in them, has a place where they can feel like they truly belong here. So we've started to develop those relationships and we're starting to see more and more um, the talent pool that we have to work with that I don't think people really realize existed in the past. Yeah, so kind of taking down a barrier that, um, I, I don't want to say it's an artificial barrier, but almost by saying there, there isn't availability, but there really is. It's just like you said, looking in new um, places, the right places um, to try to um, retain this talent and to recruit this talent. So recruiting then retaining. Um, thank you all so much for sharing there. I think it's incredibly important for our audience today to, to hear about what's working at your organizations across the country. Um, and I wanted to ask if there's anything that you would like to share that hasn't worked. So I know that we've talked about the challenges in a way um, by saying, here's the strategy that is working, but is there anything specific you'd like to share that, um, you know, is kind of a, a guidance to other organizations that, that you found um, didn't work for your organization? I can go um, on that. It, you know, it, the main thing that I see in every organization that I've either consulted with or that I've been in is that the organization wants to see results 
tomorrow. Um, most CEOs and leaders provide us with the money and resources um, to build up our teams, and they're expecting to see a complete turnaround within a year or even a few months. And um, it, it's for me, it's like saying, you know, we want to have a baby in one month. We're going to put nine women on it, right? And it just doesn't happen. DEI is a transaction. It's not transactional. It's transformational work, and that's a hard concept for leaders to get their arms around. And so that's one of the biggest challenges that I've experienced um, in this role and continue to experience. And that's why I put a lot of context in the beginning around DEI being a journey. And it's about the journey. We all say it's not about the destination. It's, it's how we evolve and transform into an organization whose culture is inclusive, we're able to have you know, dynamic conversations about very difficult topics. Um, and we're really you know, pushing forward with this radical empathy type of leadership style, which is required, especially after the murder of George Floyd and a lot of what we saw in the summer of 2020. Radical empathy is, is, needs to be the foundation in terms of everything that we do. Then we put in the metrics and the dashboards and the strategy, but I think it's that culture that we often forget that's a very challenging piece in order for us to be successful. That's one of many. I'll pause and let my, <laughs> I can continue with the numerous challenges that exist, but that's the main one that I encounter when I first joined an organization. And I think uh, for me, uh, in addition to what Kim said, which is very true, uh, the expectation, right? Managing expectations. It's also uh, the why are you here? We're doing fine. Uh, you know, this isn't needed. So establishing that value proposition has been probably one of the tougher things to do because everyone, this is a very personal thing for some people. Um, so it's different than some other business sides of this organization. So having people really understand the what's in it for me. So whether they're choosing to look at DEI, you know, for themselves, or is it how they care for their patients? Um, making sure that we're level setting with everyone has been very interesting so that they understand the why. Um, the why is oftentimes a lot bigger than that individual person. So having those conversations as to what the need is for today. And again, we're not going away next week, right? This is here to stay and making sure people understand that I think, you know, for us has been the biggest challenge. I want to piggyback on that. Uh, it, it's, it's the why and it's the how. One of the things that really surfaced for us last year, um, we, we did a series of safe space conversations after the murder of George Floyd because there was just a realization that there were, um, there were folks who intimately were feeling, um, as I say, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, so we, we joke and say, you know, some kind of way about what was going on and needed an outlet. But then we had team members who were like, I don't understand, but I want to understand. Help me, guide me around what is it that I would say to a colleague um, who I see might be struggling with this. So that was, that, you know, that was the beautiful part of it. What it also real, helped people realize is that, you know, the same way we don't expect everyone to be a finance expert, we don't expect everyone to be an IT expert, everyone is not a diversity and inclusion or an equity expert. And people have to get okay with that. I think when we do this work, we see people's identity get tied up in this. So when something, a situation comes up and people don't necessarily know how to handle it, 
It's helping people separate and not go into that shame and blame and feeling like they're a bad person because they don't know how to have this conversation. If you've never had it before, if you've not been in spaces where you've had these conversations before, there is no expectation that you miraculously know how to handle this. But I think what we found is that some folks, um, they felt that if I don't know how to handle this situation, there's something wrong with me. And it's like, no, the same way I wouldn't expect you to know how to do, to code, I don't expect you to know how to do this. That's what we're here to help you with. And I think as people relinquished that need, that, that self-identity need, it was easier for them to come to the table and have these authentic conversations and have forward movement with it. Dana, I'd like to add to that. that, that oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'll go ahead. Ariane, I'm no, sorry. No okay. Um, I, I love what you said about, um, you know, having those conversations. And then there was a lot of fear in all of our organizations around having conversations about race. Um, and, and, you know, I would just offer our leaders the grace. I'm like, I'm giving you grace. You've got to give me grace. We're not going to get this right. And the goal is not to be right. It's to get it right. The goal is to make sure that people have a space, a safe space where they can have these conversations and explore the differences that exist on their teams without being shamed, for example. So I totally appreciate what you did in your organization. We'll have to share notes after this. We're gonna have to share all of our notes after this, to be quite honest. <laughs> And I was going to add to that, you know, we're in a different uh, phase right now where 10 years ago, you didn't bring your political ideology, you didn't talk about race, you didn't necessarily talk about family issues, all those things you left at the door, right, when you came to work. And now we're in a workforce where that really makes up your life, right? It's so much a part of what we do. So how do we navigate and find that balance? I also think it's been a challenge because there's some people that want to share freely and there's other people that still don't feel comfortable. And so making sure that we as DEI leaders are allowing for that balance to take place um, and to figure out how that works. And it varies from department to department. If you're frontline versus not, it varies tremendously having gone through COVID. Um, how do we navigate those issues? I think that's been a big challenge and a change for everyone culturally if you've been in the workforce for at least five to 10 years or more. And I think it's that allowing people to opt in, opt out of conversations. Yes. Yeah, I, I love what you all mentioned and Dana, what you started there about encouraging authentic conversations and um, how you can have board movement instead of people feeling like they they don't understand or don't, um, you know, aren't sure if they're, they're feeling the right feelings or thinking the right thoughts. Um, so I think just encouraging those conversations and um, just ensuring that, um, you know, that the that the timeline, I guess, and expectations are set from the beginning, that this isn't going to, you're not going to see immediate results um, from something like this. I think it was you, Kim, that said it was a journey. And um, I think that's something that it's important for, I think, our audience members to hear today, maybe some that are new to these roles or, um, you know, starting some of these councils or programs at their organizations, that um, it's important for leadership to be involved and expectations to be set up front. We have a few minutes left in our conversation today, and I'd love to hear from each one of you if you could just provide one final takeaway or key piece of advice for everyone that's um, viewing in today and watching. And Kim, can I begin with you today? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say, and, and we've talked a lot about, I think my piece of advice is to take all the advice that we have given today, but if I had to narrow it down, I would say, you know, do your research on the organization. Um, one size does not fit all. And it's really important to not only make sure you're building that business case, but the business case that's very relevant to your organization. You've got data to support it and you're closing a gap in your organization. Um, there are many best practices that we can just pull off the shelf and try to implement, but depending on where you are and the, and the you know, root causes of where you're seeing the gaps, it's gonna be different. And so my hope is that you use the data of your organization um, and that you apply solutions that are specific to your company, to your organization, rather than taking the list of the top five best practices and trying to implement them in your organization. And from our other two panelists, what final key piece of advice or guidance uh, takeaway would you provide to our attendees today? I would say, I'll jump in and say, um, for me, what has really helped me is finding champions and, and following the energy. We can spend a lot of time trying to change folks who aren't going to change. And that tends to be the smallest percentage of an organization. I think where the real movement happens and where the real energy, it's the 20% that have either been in other organizations where they've done this work and they, they hit me at the door. So Dana, when are we doing this? And when are we doing that? And when are we doing this? And then it was like 60 or so percent that were like, I'm game. I'm not sure what this is. I, it's like trying to jump in the rope, right? And not get smacked. They're, they're just trying to jump in. So it's helping and guiding them to get into the rope, to get into the rhythm. Um, and then, like I said, you know, working with my hospital presidents has been so affirming for me because they were there to encourage me. They were there to push me. They were there to offer up support. Dana, what do you need? Um, and that was, that for me really helped because it took me out of the bubble of being in HR and really spread me out into the organization. It was my entree into the organization. So I would say absolutely find those points within your organization outside of like your one, you know, your, 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 your domain and really find who are those champions that can help you move messaging, that can help you with um, opening doors to having those conversations. And Erin, I'll turn the floor over to you now for your final uh, takeaway or piece of advice for our attendees today. Sure, I think I'll end on more of a personal side if you're a DEI leader, just to kind of tie together everything that's been said. I think uh, we as leaders have to remember what our role is in the organization. You know, we are the architects, right? But we need the employees of the organization to really help build the house and the structure and to make it sustainable. So remembering what our role is. And also, if you are a DEI leader, um, learning to separate when you're at work and away from work. It's easy to carry this with you 24 hours a day. There are very personal and complex issues that you deal with, and it can sometimes be a very lonely space, as rewarding as it is. But learning when to step away for your own mental health so that then when you come to work, you can really be your best self, I think is key advice that I would give to anybody that's in this role because it can be exhausting at times, um, but to understand what your role is and how to function, I think is really, really important. 
It's such a great piece of advice to end on and bringing your, to be able to bring your best self, you also have to be able to step away at times as well. I, we're all out of time today. I want to thank all three of our panelists for taking time out of what I know is are their incredibly busy schedules to share their insights with us today. Um, to everyone viewing, thank you so much. Um, and please let us know if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, and we hope you'll join us for future Becker's events. Thank you.